joining us. Hi, Ferret. Hi, Flame. Hi, Fandom. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode three. It's just me and Flame today, but we'll do our best to keep you entertained. We're talking soulmates as a trope, what we love about them, what kinds we love best, etc., etc., etc. Then after we have a creator corner for you all on the balance between world building and info dumping. Yeah, everyone, you heard that right. Ferret is going to talk about world building. <laughs> Flame has promised me no train references. And if she breaks that promise, I am out of here. I will be a good flame, I promise. We uh, also get to hear from some of you in Calm Talks about what you love about Soulmates before we have a trope off update and then your events forecast. Thanks to B for providing the tone setting for this episode through that incredible cover art. We have tons to cover as always, so let's get started. Today's topic and today's Let's Talk is a trope or a concept that I, I think is near and dear to both of our hearts. <laughs> um, definitely a special favorite of mine, and that is soulmates. But it's also, I know, not a special favorite of everyone's. And more than anything else, the argument I've seen against it or the thing that uh, people who don't like soulmates don't like about it tends to be the lack of choice. So we kind of wanted to dive into perceptions around soulmates and choice and, you know, how much it affects stories and relationships, this concept of, of being destined for someone and all the various ways that that can come together, be expressed. Um, and I almost, ha- I almost have t- too many thoughts on, on the subject, but first of all, just to introduce soulmates in general as a concept. Um, if you haven't read any soulmate stories or you don't know about it as a trope, it's the idea that there is a person or multiple people out there who are in some way fated, destined, mystically linked, what have you, um, to be a perfect match for someone else. And it's definitely a spectrum because you can go all the way from, the only person that you can be with in any sense, like your soulmate is the person you end up with. Um, And there are worlds where everybody finds their soulmate. Everybody ends up with the soulmate. You have one soulmate and your goal is to find your soulmate. And once you do, you will be together and you will be happy. (laughs) All the way to the other end of the spectrum I've seen, which is, you know, you have, you maybe have lots of soulmates and, it's a nod from the universe that there are good matches for you in some way, or there are people who have an influence on your life in some way. I've seen takes where your soulmates aren't necessarily the people who are going to be your best complement. Sometimes they're your best adversary. Uh, I've seen ones where, you know, friends are soulmates too, you know, so like, it's definitely a huge pool to draw from. And there are a lot of different ways to do it. And I think that that leans into the choice conversation too, because um, there are, there are ways to do it that have a lot more freedom in the, in terms of what the end game could be. And then soulmate stories that have no flexibility in what the ending is going to be. And I should say right off the bat, I, I love 
every part of that range. So for me personally, I like them all. <laughs> it's fascinating. I had a conversation, my gosh, a year ago at this point now, or 25 years ago, who knows, <laughs> with Ko, who is a absolute mono shipper for Stucky. And Ko is who did our graphic design um, and set up the brand that is Potscast for anyone who is new with us. Um, and like mono shipper doesn't really even <laughs> cover her devotion to that <laughs> shit. Um, and one of the reasons for her is that to her, Stucky is our soulmates and they are completely destined to be together. And she loves the inherent angst within that ship that everything tried to keep them apart, but they kept, they keep finding each other. That that's to her. And I said, that's really fascinating because that actually kind of stresses me out on a certain level. If there's no choice, I like, I like soulmate stories and I like Stony more than Stucky just in this conversation that I was having with her because I definitely buy that they are connected and meant to be together somehow, but I still want them to choose each other. And the idea of choice and my value to choice should surprise no one who's ever read my fix. I think that's the idea of love being a constant choice is very important to me as a person and therefore me as a creator. Um, and I don't, I love the concept of soulmates a lot, not quite as much as Ferret in terms of unilateralness, because I don't want to read a story where you find your soulmate and then that's it. You're done. You're perfectly happy. There's no angst or, or working things out or anything else that I don't love as much as, okay, so the universe says we're supposed to be together, but it's still not going to be great until we make this choice until we choose to do it, until we choose to say yes or choose to believe the universe. Um, and the soulmate stories I like the best are the ones that play with that. I definitely find that the ones that fall on the no choice end of the spectrum for me are very much id fix. Like it's really, it's like, that's what I want to wallow in in that moment. It's not necessarily okay. an exploration of anything. It is chocolate cake for me. And, um, and I love that for what that is. Uh, I mean, clearly, <laughs> I I had a a thing about soulmates and choice because my most popular soulmate fic is a fic where Steve and Tony are the only people in the world that they're in who are not soulmates, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, in Lost Together they end up in another universe where everybody is has a soulmate and they have to pretend to be soulmates because not having a soulmate is seen as very uh like scary and threatening um so they spend this whole time traversing this like entirely other world uh pretending to be soulmates and it's very enemies to lovers which we're also going to talk about and trope off later um and that environment of 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 having to rely on each other so much and everything like that is, is what brings them together. So I guess like maybe I worked through all of my issues. It was a pretty early fic for me. And maybe I worked through all of my desire to explore the choice factor in like the ultimate approach to choice and soulmates that I could do. And, um, and yeah, now I, I, I feel, you know, I, I'm, I'm free from those shackles. <laughs> But I get it. I get it. I know that it's I know that it's a thing. I think that like one of the critical things for me is that like in a totally non-mystical way, I believe in soulmates like for real. I think that fundamentally there are people who are made 
like however people are created, nature and nurture combine, create, like there's only so many iterations of people and there are just people who are perfect meshes for each other. Like when you get forks where their tines just fit together, I think that that everybody has people in the world who fit them perfectly like that. And it's it's perfectly possible to happily date, marry, be best friends, be siblings, whatever, with people who are not your soulmates. And also it's possible that you will not cultivate a relationship with people who are your soulmates. But I still think that it is a thing that happens that you meet those people that just fit like puzzle pieces together with you. And I have some people in my life like that. And so for me, I think the thing that doesn't bother me about a lack of choice is that for me in these fix where it's like, it's a mystical thing and it's the universe. The point of being soulmates is a promise that you are people who fit perfectly well together. And so it doesn't feel to me like there's anything being taken away by saying, you guys are destined to be together because it's already the answer to the question that choice is there for. In the real world, we need to have that choice because we don't know the answer to the question of like, do we mesh? Can we make this work? It is effort. And if you're promised right off the bat, this is your, like your best chance for making it work with someone in some way, whatever type of relationship it is, then like that's the answer to the question already. But like, obviously in the, in real life, I believe that love is a choice you have to make every day and that relationships are choices. But in, when I wanna consume cake of any flavor, I like people to just get through their thing and then work. And there's something about soulmates that feels like it's, it's a stronger promise of a happily ever after than just people. <laughs> Fascinating. It's really, that makes complete sense to me. And knowing you, that makes complete, complete sense to me. Um, I don't believe in soulmates as a thing in real life as strongly as you do, or not as strongly, in the same manner in which you do. Um, I do believe that there are people that are just made to fit. Um, and I have those people in my life. And I've, I think there are, there are like temporary soulmates in a way. Like there are people you're supposed to have in your life for very specific seasons and they are perfect for that season. And then that's it. And then there's others that are permanent forever. You're done. Um, it's the end game in a way, like they are your <laughs> end game. And for me, that's more than just Mr. Flame. Um, and there are days I'm not entirely sure Mr. Flame is one of them. <laughs> um, and that's marriage therapy with flame. I know it's a different podcast. But um, the, the element of choice is still so strong there for me. Um, I am like one of the fundamental ways that I human is choice and free will. And, and that it's just one of the fundamental ways that I exist in the world. And while I absolutely believe in the universe and higher powers and things like that, and the ways that the world just works together somehow. I am just such an American, <laughs> like such, such a Northeastern American that needs to talk about free will and choice. It's just like, I rebel against it in some ways. Um, but 
I also seek out realistic cake significantly more than you do. Yes. Like, yeah. I just want every, it's why I think I read AUs more than canon too. And I think I've said this on the pod. It, when I review romance novels, the most frequent, like you all tease me about having WhatsApps in all of my fix. <laughs> um, and I know I do because I live my life on WhatsApp. So I want these people to live their life on WhatsApp. But in almost every romance review, I will talk about if I feel it is grounded in reality or not. Like I, I will say if I feel like I could know these people and I am not interested in things where I don't think I could know these people. And yeah, I think for me, it's really important that the people be true to themselves, like the character that is created. I have to believe that they're not contradicting what I've been told about them within the story. And for fanfic, what I've been told about them within canon as well, um, like as, their, as to their characters, but yeah. like f- fuck around with everything else. <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't try, like, I don't notice contradictions all the time as strongly as you do. Um, which is one of the reasons I love our friendship that you point out things to me that I would have never noticed. Um, one of the many things I love about how our puzzle piece fits together, but the, I, I need more reality in my fiction than other people might and might need to. And some of that is because complete escape, let's get really esoteric here for a minute. My anxiety disorder means that complete escape into things is impossible. There is absolutely no point, like, really ever. It's very, very rare for me to be completely present in a moment or completely escaping the world or anything else. My brain is always doing other things at the same time. And this is not healthy and it is not great. And it is one of the ways that I am, you know, borderline neuroatypical and lots of therapists have tried to help me. But it is just, I'm not ever present in moments. And that's just how it works. And so, I still want a tether somehow. Um, and it's, it's the, the closest I come by the way is, is video games. That, that's the closest I come to completely getting immersed in something. Um, I think and, we're both playing Stardew a lot right now. <laughs> uh-huh. I found another one called Littlewood, which is like Stardew, but even less stressful. It's. Mm. Oh, don't get me into it. You keep hooking me into I know, resource I management games. games. I don't know. I gave you Portia. I, yeah, I'm not giving you more games. Um, but it's that. I mean, like I played Animal Crossing until I could no longer lose myself in it, and now I'm sure my island is completely covered in weeds, and I will never pick it up again. Um, but all of this to say, I love Soulmates when it is messy. And like, I love words on skin. I love that's one of my favorite ways that Soulmate shows up. Mm. I love it. I don't love Red String of Fate as much. And I think some of it is because I came into fandom when it was not as popular. I don't think it's actually been popular for a while. I think of it as a sort of an older school soulmate trope. I haven't seen it, it every now and then it'll have a little blip and a couple of people will do some sort of Red String thing, but it's, it's definitely not one of the more common soulmate approaches. Yeah. And it doesn't like, I read one that's a, that's a winter iron ages ago. Please do not ask me to find it. And I liked the, how that one worked quite a bit. Um, and that, that felt for me, I've definitely, I can't remember how many of these are like in my whip folder and how many I've published the, the soulmate one I know I have published is the one where Steve intentionally burned off his mark. 
Yeah, I think Marx is probably my favorite one, especially if there's some like there's some degree of interpretation you could like you're not always 100% sure. Yeah. Like, you don't know who your mark is until you see your mark on them or something like that. Like I do like yeah. the misunderstanding stage where they don't know that they're soulmates. Um, yeah. But I'm fine with the discovery of being soulmates being the answer at the end, right? Like that being yes. essentially the love confession is, is is fine by me. Yeah. And if, if along the way, like they still like choose each other and they happen to be soulmates, like that's my catnip. Like that's, yeah. that sounds fantastic. I love it. The, I think my second, my story, which is second chance soulmates is the angstiest thing I may ever write. Um, <laughs> And it was really, really, and because it wasn't, it was a lot. And Steve's in politics and he was an idiot and Tony's Tony. And one of my AUs in which I play with just enough that I can, you know, still, still do what I want with it. But it, I, a lot of that idea was Steve made the decision for both of them regarding something. And like, how does that kind of work out when the universe still wants them together? Yeah. And so I do still play with this, I promise. Um, but I think I was also jaded a little early in that I could read a couple soulmate fix really, really early where like they were soulmates and therefore everything was fine. And that just irked me. <laughs> like, I was just like, I, I can't go there with you. I, I, that's not what I'm here for. The only level of that level of cake that I'm here for is like kinks and or like PWP stories. <laughs> You're going to give me a fluffy plot on any level. I want some groundedness. However, I, I love fic because it explores the differences between marks and words and words that are someone's last words to you, words that are someone's first words to you, like words that sparkle, words that burn, words that are different letters, words that are in someone's handwriting, words that aren't, and then symbols that have some meaning to the other person, but not to you. And so you don't know what's going on. And like, the particular way that soul marks work in the triad of Steve, Tony and Bucky and like when they were born and if the serum erased it and what if Bucky's mark was on his arm that Hydra cut off and like, <laughs> like all of that, I don't have as much fun with soulmates in other ships other than that one and the three subsidiaries. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I'd really thought about it, but I've definitely like I've written, I've written a lot of soulmates. I've done marks, I've done names and dates. I've done first words. I've done, uh, you see color for the first time. I played with that. Ooh. That was fun. You might oh, actually yeah, like that one. Oh yeah. I, I don't know if you, yeah. I haven't uh, done last words yet. Jay just did a last words one that I, that I, uh, I don't I think I can do last words. It makes me oh, it was, No, she did a great job with it. It was a really good, it was the only way I think I could do last words and it fit. Um, and it was just a lovely, it was a lovely last words one colors. I love that idea. And then there's a, there's a couple of really famous ones with flowers. Um, yeah yeah hide a heart of war is the one that comes to mind right now um i've i've yeah. never done skin writing or dream walking but i've seen a couple of those um but i want to just jump back uh briefly to you talking about like degrees of escapism and how much you can get sucked into something because as you were saying that i was thinking that like i i have the opposite problem i get too sucked into something to the point where like I can't unsuck myself from it sometimes and like <clears throat> I have if I read a very long story of any kind fic or a book I, 
I can like get a little dissociative even after like up to like a whole day of like mild haziness or disconnection from reality because it consumes me so much. And I'm curious if any of our listeners feel that there's a connection between their enjoyment of choice in Soulmate Fix or relatedly how much realism they want in their fix and in the relationships of their fix and how deeply they feel that consuming stories is escapist and how fully they can escape into them or how fully they like to escape into them if for them it's a choice. Um, Because I wonder if, like, I I wonder if there's some correlations there and it's hard for us to sort of collect data because there are a lot like in my mind's popping and all of the different things that could correlate with how deeply you can get sucked into stuff. Cause I know everyone's on that spectrum from, I get really sucked into things to, you know, I'm always doing five things in my head at once. And uh, stories are one of the few times, like if you've got video games, reading fic is one of the few times I can fully let go. So I, yeah, I'd be super curious to hear if our differences and preferences are just random happenstance, based on all the other ways that we are different um, or if it connects to this way that we're different. Yeah, it's, that's a really great point. It's interesting. I was going book shopping a couple weeks ago. Uh, my God, it was last Saturday. <laughs> a couple last, years ago. Yeah. It was last Saturday. Um, Mr. Flame and I went on a, a socially distanced COVID appropriate date that included a stop at Barnes and Noble. And I was, I picked up a bunch of books because I'm a nerd uh, that were all nonfiction, just in case you were wondering. And we were going up to the, the counter and I saw the new Sarah J. Moss book, which like is a book stop. It's somewhere around 9,000 pages. I have no idea, but it's far too long for me. And so I turned to Mr. Flame and I said, I am of the firm belief that like, I said, if you cannot tell me a good story in, in 500 or less pages, you cannot tell a good story. Like what? <laughs> says to me is that someone needed an editor thank you for coming to my TED talk like just I said it kind of loudly and the girl behind the counter started laughing she goes I feel the same way and I was like yeah, this is how you too many words <laughs> and Mr. Flame is a huge fantasy person like he's read the Dark Tower series like two or three times and he loses himself in these wild words he's a massive Terry Pratchett fan and um, loves all of that stuff. And he loses himself, you know, like he's doesn't read very often, but when he does, it's always when we're on vacation and I will lose him for hours. And I do not talk to him because he will not talk to me if he is in a book. Um, that my vacations, my vacations also are the only time I get to read. And yeah. I usually, yeah, I'm yeah. my friend and I go camping four days. We fill our Kobos. We're both the type of people that we just go, we set up, we go on the beach or what have you. We read nonstop for four days and then we go home and it's very peaceful. <laughs> oh my gosh. I would love that. That's what, but like, he does not offer me the same courtesy, by the way. <laughs> to me. That could be because I've already read a hundred books this year and like I read constantly. And so he would never be able to talk to me, which maybe he should take a hint. Just kidding. Um, but I love, I love reading. I love reading as much as I can voraciously. Cause the other thing too, is I love going to a lot of different worlds. And I love spending time with a lot of different kinds of people. So my, so soulmate, my, who obviously I believe in soulmates, cause that's her name. Soulmate. And I talk about the fact that like, I am fundamentally always looking for more input and I am fundamentally an extrovert 
and a, like a puppy who just wants to meet as many people as possible and know as many stories as possible. So I don't want to spend a whole heck of a lot of time in fictional worlds where I have to lose myself so completely and get completely in and buy a whole lot of rules. Like I'm not into that as much. I just want to get to know the humans. I want to know their stories. If I have to deal with the trappings around it, like fine, fuck it, I don't care. But what I really want to know is the humans. Whereas like she wants to lose herself in Star Wars and or Star Trek. And I'm like, I don't care. I just want to know if, Kirk, if Kirk's fucking someone. <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't really care about the galactic empire. Like, I don't give any shits. I give a whole lot of shits about the people. And she finds a lot of patterns between she and I in what we can immerse ourselves in and what we can lose ourselves in. And that she is much more emotionally attached to characters. She will weep openly at shows. I don't cry at fiction very, very often. It's a, it's an exceptional circumstance. It boggles my mind that people cry at my fix. Like I have no concept of that. I've never cried at a fanfic and I am, I just don't have that piece of me. Um, whereas like I, one of the reasons she never wants to read fan fiction is she knows she would just cry all the time. <laughs> So, and that's just her personality and how she is. And that's fine. There's no judgment. I'm not like, I am the one that is broken that I think I cannot attach myself to characters as easily. I also don't cry over my friends all that often. I just don't, I don't emotionally attach in that way as much as I, as much as I could and other people do. And some of that is, I think this disconnection I have with an inability to completely lose myself. Um, and that escapism looks very different for me than it does for some other people, most other people in my life most other people in my life don't function the way that I do. Um, and it would be, if, if I am not alone, I would <laughs> love to know. Um, but I just, I've, uh, I could just keep rambling here, but that's such a fascinating question. Um, yeah. is, there, is there patterns in this that is, yeah. Yeah. I feel like this topic just sort of just makes me want to like, take a microphone out into fandom and ask a bunch of people a bunch of questions. Cause like, I want to know if you like soulmates. I want to know if you believe in some version of soulmates in real life um, and what that looks like for you. And I want to know if you like soulmate stories, what kind of soulmate stories, like it's such a huge topic. And I feel confident saying I like pretty much all concepts of soulmates, but I I'm like, I'm sure there's a way to do soulmates. I haven't read at all. <laughs> I feel like I should also, I should pimp my favorite soulmate story, which is Never Too Late for Love by Cineala. And it's alts. And um, it's one of those stories where they find out their soulmates, but reject it and resist it for a long time. And it's a very alts way to explore the idea of choice with soulmates. So of course that speaks to me. And I legitimately like, refused to participate in a party because I had started reading it before the party and then went to the party and I was like because I was going with my husband and I was like no I'm I'm not actually here and I just took a chair and read the story and people tried to talk to me and I was like I should have I should have stayed home like just don't talk to me I'm busy and I read the whole thing <laughs> I love it that's my favorite of uh Siniala's fix like yes. by a country yeah. mile I, everything I love um, I love everything I have read by her I have loved but that one is my favorite by a country mile yeah. my favorite is hide a heart of war that's I love the dynamics between Steve Tony and Bucky in that one I love Tony's relationship with Howard in that one to me that's one of the quintessential 
Howard Stark's A plus parenting fix, mm. um, and the way that Ray Shipola, I'm mispronouncing that, um, works with that and plays with that is just really it's one of the first ones I've read, and it is the one I return to. Well, I think that we could we could ramble about soulmates all day, and like this has just opened up that we want to hear more from people. So like definitely hit us up and let us know what you think about soulmates you want to say it anonymously you can go into our fandom feelings if there's anyone that has like a strong opinion about soulmates or an interesting take on soulmates um we would totally have you back for an interview to explore this topic more so let us know if that's you um but yeah i think end of the day is like soulmates really solid trope (laughs) Yeah, and we did ask and get some like Twitter stuff and some Discord stuff. And so in a yeah. little bit in Com Talks, we're, we haven't looked at any of the responses because we wanted to just do this fresh. Um, but we're going to check this, in. This with is what just you- us. <laughs> we'll check us. in with you later. We're going to check in with you guys later. And I know I remember a little bit of the conversation on Discord that there was a couple people that were like, Soulmates just doesn't do it for me at all, um, which I loved. And we'll dig into that a little bit more. But if you either missed that conversation on the Discord server, because uh, it probably happened sometime in February based on how time has been working recently, um, and or if you missed the Twitter poll or anything else, like this is not, this is a topic that's been on our, on our to-do list for a while because we wanted to talk about it and we kept wanting to do it like have all these conversations and like do it because you can just keep talking about it. And finally we were like, fuck it, we're doing it live. Let's start the conversation because we want to keep it going with other people. For today's creator corner, we wanted to do something that's sort of adjacent to soulmates. um, Because if you're adding something like soulmates to your story, inevitably, you're adding an element that is uh, world building in and of itself. So today's Creator Corner is about world building. And we're going to talk about what is world building and then how do we communicate the worlds that we've built to our readers in an effective way. So first of all, just to set things up, I kind of want to describe what we mean by world building. Um, It's a really broad term. It's used very broadly in fandom spaces and in non-fandom creator spaces uh, because worlds are broad and when we build them, that requires a lot of stuff. So so it makes sense in that way. Uh, World building has sort of two parts to it. As I just said, there is the actual decision-making that you as a creator do to build the world, the things that you decide about the world. And then there is the act of inserting that information or um, providing that information to the reader in a way that's effective and engaging, but also gives them the foundation they need to understand what's going on to the degree that you want them to understand. So focusing for a minute on the part of world building that's kind of between you and the page, Um, That includes a whole bunch of stuff, um, names for your original characters, for the towns that they're in. If you're building the actual space, it could be whole planets, um, the names of spaceships, uh, the personalities and characterization of any original characters you have. And that can be like almost the entire cast of your story 
or it could be, you know, Tony's kid and everybody else is from Canon. It can be things like political systems, um, everybody's jobs, if you have an alternate university, uh, alternate university, <laughs> an alternate universe. Um, you know, what's, what does Natasha do as a day job if she's not a superhero? Uh, that's part of world building. It can be something, you can be writing a story that's totally canon compliant in every single way and you still need to do world building. Like what's Clint's favorite food? Where does Tony get his suits? These are all things that are that are questions that the MCU hasn't answered for us but may come up in your story. So that is all part of world building. It's, it's a lot to think about. It's my least favorite part of writing, if I'm totally honest. I usually outsource names because I am very, very bad at naming things. Flame is very good at naming things. Um, and I much prefer thinking about plot and characterization than I do world building, which is part of why um, I like writing fan fiction, because if I don't feel like making a world, there's a world right there built for me. And if I want to make certain parts of a world, I can just make those parts and then funnel in everything else that we already have. So that's definitely an appeal when it comes to world building. But Flame, I know you you love AUs and you, I would say, mostly write AUs. So I think yeah. we have very different opinions on the, the building part of world building. Yeah, it's funny as you were saying that. I like writing fan fiction because I don't like doing characterizations. So I like that we have the characters already and that I can play with everything else. Um, the, the idea of writing original fiction terrifies me because of the characterizations. Hmm. Because as much as I love writing original characters, and I really do, I think, I mean, anyone that reads my stuff can tell that I like playing around with original characters sometimes. Um, I, they make really good side characters but I don't, I don't, I feel too much pressure creating characterizations for the main characters. But I adore, I really do adore building whole new worlds for them. I love those little details. Marie did a while ago, I think actually this time last year, she took a fic that I had written on anonymous, probably for an exchange or something, and just went through on a notes app and started circling every single thing in it that she could tell was me. And I hadn't told her it was me. She hadn't baited that fic. <laughs> and she just went through and said, this is how I know it's a flame fic. Like, this is how I know it's you. And she's right. It's all my ticks. Like I will always, every time there's a restaurant, I will give it a specific name because it'll be a restaurant that I ate at that week. Like the WhatsApp thing that everyone makes fun of me for is part of world building for me. Cause like, I think I said already in this episode, I spend most of my life on WhatsApp. So I want these humans to spend most of their life on it. Um, so when you pull stuff, like what kind, like, do you have like an idea of what percent of, of world building factoids you're pulling from real life? Like you name all your restaurants after real restaurants and stuff like that. Probably most of them. I mean, I name all names come from whatever, either whatever television show I'm watching at the time or the room I'm sitting in when I need it. <laughs> um, I think for, for, there was one series that I wrote and all the names of the students I was teaching that semester are in the fic. <laughs> That's great. I just end up like was... naming Morgan's hamster lip chap or something. Cause I don't have to. <laughs> I did that. I love specificity. Um, because the spe to me, the more specific the story, the sometimes the wider it can apply to things. Mm. So 
I love naming intersections in New York and those come from the top of my head, like very frequently. Um, I will always tell you what neighborhood I have Steve and Bucky from in Brooklyn. Because even if that means nothing to anybody else, there's a difference between Bushwick and Red Hook. And that means, and Weehawken, and like that means something, well, that's Jersey, but like that means something to me and it centers me into what kind of vibe I'm giving for that, for their characterization, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Um, and so I also love being specific about where I'm very particular. I think this is one of the only like dumb hills I will die on is is Sarah Rogers's relationship with Ireland <laughs> like it is a dumbass hill but I'll die on it and I have a very specific history through like history of how she came and why she came and where on the island she was from and how she works with her diaspora and her relationship with the diaspora and I've got a couple options but it all comes from the same place I her maiden name to me is always McCool that's the one I always use um and that connects to a bigger world for me. But I love the dumb things too of like, I sneak it in like in, in Gutter Snipe, which I'm writing right now. Um, one of the little asides in a paragraph as Steve is talking, Steve's monologue is telling us that he knows Tony. And one of the things is that Tony's obsessed with Swiss cake rolls, little Debbie Swiss cake rolls. <laughs> and it's the snack that he doesn't tell anybody about. I don't think I've um, ever had one. Oh my God, I love them. They are not food, but I love them so much. They're like in Twinkie um, category, right? Yeah, yeah. So they're just chocolate cake. cake. Yeah. They're a roulade. Like they're a chocolate cake wrapped wrapped around cream icing, completely dipped in chocolate. I can imagine what it tastes like. I We have something similar here. I, I don't think we have those exactly. We have Joe Louis, which are, I think they're not rolled up, but it's the same flavor combination. Yeah, I mean, they're not food, but I no. love them with my whole heart. And um, my my absolute go-to pastry to to be bought in boxes is Tasty Cakes. Yeah, but listeners, those Flame are- just sent me three boxes of Tasty Cakes, so I'm fully on board with that. They're rapidly uh, they only Yeah, they, they only exist in this part of the country, so yeah. I can't have my Brooklyn boys love Tasty Cakes. Um, so they like little Debbie's and those, those things are fun for me because to me, again, part of my, part of my job as a writer in my joy and my job for you guys as a, as a reader is to sometimes make you feel like you could be friends with these people. Yeah, that's nice. Or like if you showed up at this intersection, I, I told you about Steve's bakery will actually be there. <laughs> oh, I like that. Like that's how I, that's how I see my job. Um, and that's why I'm so panicked about historical stuff because the world building is is what I take the most importantly. And I know everyone's like, oh, it's no big deal. No, no, no. To me, it is the biggest part of this because I can, the characters, I can spin in anything. I'm good at dialogue. I know I am, but the world building is really important to me. So it is, it's fun for me to think about how opposite ends of the spectrum we are. So the hard part for me is not the world building. The hard part for me is where do I how to do the reveal, which is the other part that you already talked about. The reveals and when do I, when do I reveal what? And what is utilizing and like what is too much? That's my hard balance. Yeah, and I think that kind of leads into um, sort of the second half of this conversation, which is that very question. So if we've got, you know, our 
uh, character sheets or our Tolkien style appendices for all this information about the world that we've built, be it whole languages and alien species, or just, um, you know, what brand of slippers Steve wears. We have all this information. How do we put that in our stories in such a way that it gives the reader what they need, but it doesn't overwhelm them and it keeps, it doesn't interrupt the pacing or the um, draw of the story, the, the thing that pulls you to continue yeah. reading. And I think it's, we've kind of got like a, a lot of little notes and ideas on the topic, but I think the fundamental question that drives everything that we're going to talk about and should drive a writer's approach to this is what do people need in this moment in whatever part of the story you're in? What do my readers need to know? That's, that's the first question. And mm. more often than not, it's much, much less than you know. Yep. It's important to know a lot about your world and about your characters and their backstories and what's what's building everything that's happening so that you can stay consistent to yourself, but you don't necessarily have to communicate at all. And most of the time um, you need to communicate less even than you think you do. Uh, it's amazing yep. what people can pick up on, but also it's amazing how how much knowing these things provide your story with a structure that you're not even necessarily actively planning out, but will happen because you already know, like, oh, you know that, you know, Bucky works at a mechanics shop on the weekend. And even though you haven't told anyone that yet, that's where his little Sim character is in your mind while you're doing other things. And then if he comes into the story, you already know what he's going to be wearing and if he's going to be tired and what time of day it is. And that just sort of, it helps drive that structure as you build. So there's a couple of ways not to, to share information with your reader. And the first one and the biggest one and the one that kind of uh, is the driving force for this particular segment is the idea of info dumping. So info dumping is when there's a, a large passage and I'm going to put large in air quotes because this is all very subjective and everybody's going to have a different opinion about what constitutes an info dump, how long you can expo for before you've hit info dump all super, super personal and genre specific and so many factors, but it becomes an info dump when it is too long. <laughs> However, we define too long in that moment when you have shared too much information in too short a period of time and it becomes either A, overwhelming for the reader or B, interrupts the flow of the story. And it can even interrupt the flow of the story if the very first thing that you've got is an info dump, which is extremely common. You've got ideas in your head, you wanna get them out, you've got a blank page, you start writing what you know, and it's all the setup for your story right there. Here's what the world's like, here's what everybody does, here's what people are wearing, just get it all in there. And the truth is that's important for you, but the reader doesn't need to know it all yet. Yeah, I read something once where they did the entire plot of Iron Man 1 in the first three paragraphs. <laughs> And I was enraged because first of all, they were three really long paragraphs, but also like there were other ways to tell that, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation because I would like, 
people may not be aware that there are other ways to tell us that story without having, like, I know the plot of Iron Man 1. Like, have Tony make a reference to his nightmares in the cave and I'm going to know that he was <laughs> canonically Iron Man. Like, we're okay. You know, anyway, yeah. continue. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's a natural impulse you want to get all the ideas in your head out onto the page and I fully recommend doing that and I think you should and I think you should write notes at the top of it and then dump all of that in and then write chapter one after that and you might be amazed at how little of that actually ends up explicitly being explained in your story but how much it becomes the foundation for what does happen and how the characters do move and interact. I had a, a writing instructor in college who um who his little I think I've mentioned this before but one of his little like sayings was always start your story with chapter two and the fundamental idea of that is really just get out what you need to get out for you first make those notes build the world you know describe your characters get to know them a little bit and then start the story and um if you're just starting out with writing it can be hard to put down words that don't end up being in it, but sometimes you gotta change that heading from chapter one to notes and start with chapter two being chapter one. Or when I'm writing shorter fix, I usually say my thing to myself is start 400 words later than you think you should. So wherever the story feels like it starts, skip those 400 words, either write them and then delete them or write them in your head and then start and and start the story there and that gives you that gives you a place to start where something's happening people are talking things are moving the story is actually in progress so the reader can come right in and go okay things are happening here we go I'm invested and it also helps prevent the natural urge to do an early info dump but the beginning is also not the only place that info dump can happen (laughs) Let me say before we move on from that, though, one of my tricks to train myself, by the way, is to start the chapter or the story in the middle of a conversation. Yeah, that's a great. And that's a like that's frequent and it can be a tick and people can get annoyed at it if you do a 20 chapter fic and every single chapter starts in the middle of a conversation. So this isn't like do it this way every single time. But that's one of the that's to me one of the tricks that I use to make sure I'm not getting too info dumpy because it's a lot easier for me in a conversation to remind myself how humans talk to each other and how they would talk to each other in the middle of this conversation. And then I can like go back and double check if info, if I've, if I've already tilted my hand too much, if it were. So if you're not sure how to start, that would be one of my tips would just be to start in the middle of a conversation and write that conversation and then see what else is truly needed for people to understand what you're trying to say. And like Farad already said, we can almost, we can, I mean, I can almost guarantee you it is going to be less than you think we need. You can kind of break your prose down into, uh, I'm going to say four pieces. And if I end up being wrong about the number, then so be it. Um, Exposition, which I would say is the parts where you're directly explaining something to the reader, um, dialogue, when people are talking, action, and action doesn't have to mean action in the sense of um, fighting or, you know, like superhero battles or whatever, just action in the sense that people are moving um, and descriptions of things that are happening. 
and then description, which would be a little bit different from exposition in that the description is uh, engaging the five senses, six, five senses, <laughs> no ghosts, um, to uh, give the reader the atmosphere of the moment, describing what a building looks like, what a person's wearing, that falls into that. If you're worried about not knowing where to start and you're, you don't want to start with exposition because you're worried about an info dump, pick one of the other ones and start with that. So dialogue is a great place to start. You could also start with a description. Um, you could start with uh, sort of a subcategory, introspection. You could start with what a character is thinking. Um, and that might help you kind of get off the, get away from that urge to start with information. And since we were talking about dialogue, the other um, thing that we are going to caution you against doing with sharing world building with your reader is called As You Know Bob. And it's a very common uh, trope, if you will, um, and something that, uh, that you see a lot with writers who are starting out, um, because you have a fact that you want your audience to know, and you don't want to just tell them in prose. That's a good first step for saying, okay, I want to do this in a more creative way. Um, and so you want to reveal the information through dialogue, but you can run into this problem. It's called, as you know, Bob, because the idea is one of the characters will say, as you know, Bob, we're in the middle of a galactic uh, uh, conflict. Supernova, between which the, is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they'll describe to the other character something that the other char character absolutely would already know. And you have to say to yourself, if I've got two characters in this situation, and they've been living in this situation for however long they've been living in it, would they ever have a conversation like that? I would never yeah. on the podcast be, be like, so Flame, we are on a podcast <laughs> because she knows that. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, it's sort of a common tactic to, to try and kind of wiggle around the problem of just saying to the reader, Bob and Frank are in an intergalactic <laughs> supernova <laughs> um, because that feels too on the nose, but the dialogue one can go the other way and be, this is, this is unrealistic. You don't want to violate characterization by putting your world building in dialogue if it doesn't work like that. Another version of that is where you have a character describe their relationship to the other person. Yes. Mm -hmm. So like that, so I find that one happens more often than the, this is the world we're living in. People will be like, well, you know, we have known each other for like 14 years. And that happens sometimes in human conversations, but then the other person will usually snark back and be like, yes, and I've hated you for all of them or something like that. Instead of then adding like, yes, and we met when we were in third grade and like, yeah, that one can be deceptive, but I read it in fic a lot. So be cautious of that one. Yeah, it's hard. You can you can really sit there with your dialogue and say, you know, what was what was the character's motivation for saying this? Whatever the line is, what was their motivation for saying this? And if you can't come up with a valid motivation, then the motivation might be that you wanted them to say it, which which isn't a great drive for for dialogue in a story. The character needs to have a reason to say it. Um, as much as you need to have a reason to get the info across. So if the character doesn't have a reason for saying it, then you need to find another way to inform the reader what's going on. 
And so speaking to that, now we're going to talk about, uh, after telling you what not to do, we're going to talk about some advice for how you can work world building in and you can share that information with your reader in ways that doesn't, um, that isn't an info dump or, or doesn't violate characterization or feel unwieldy to the reader. So one of my personal favorite ways, I was actually just looking for an example within my own writing because I can type it better than ever I can say it. But I really love the offhand remarks that a character will make to somebody else. Um, like I'll have Bucky and Sam talking and Sam will say like, right, but that time in, Bud in Budapest and Bucky and my next thing is, well, Bucky rolled his eyes. Well, obviously... <laughs> something happened in Budapest and you guys know that. And now, and I know that as the, as the writer, but like all I really need in that moment is for you to understand as the reader that the two of them have a history and that they're snarky and that Bucky will roll his eyes at Sam bringing something up that he doesn't want him to bring up. So I do offhand remarks a lot. Obviously it also helps that the three characters I write that, of the characters I write the most, Bucky and Tony are sarcastic little shits all the time. And offhand remarks and sarcasm work really well together. So I think that's one of the ones I use the most to give little like soupçons of <laughs> characterization um, as you kind of go in. Another very famous one is the outsider, is the audience stand-in, which the best example I can always think of for this is that... Um, Hermione Granger is the audience stand-in in Harry Potter. She is how we get almost all the exposition of the wizarding world because she is the smartest one and loves teaching people and pontificating. And especially in the early, in the early books, just explains everything to Harry all the time. So like she is the explainer. Harry's a little bit of the audience stand-in, but really what she does is she can just tell everything. She info dumps all the time, but it doesn't feel weird because it's authentic within the relationships of that story. Yeah, so since Harry doesn't know the Wizarding World, if you've never read Harry Potter, um, Harry is, is coming into the Wizarding World as a teenager, and so he doesn't know any of this. So we as the reader get to learn about the world as Harry learns about the world. Um, so it makes sense for him to say, like, I don't know what this is, and then Hermione gets to explain it. And by making her a bit of a know-it-all, it makes it, easy to put in a lot of exposition without violating her character because she would go on a monologue about Hogwarts history. Okay, so another way to do it um, is to pepper in your expo instead of putting it all in big chunks. So instead of having a big info dump at the beginning of a chapter where you say, here's what the world's like, here's how everything is, here's everybody's job, here's what's going on, here's the name of all the spaceships that are ever gonna show up in the whole book. Um, you can use exposition and you can just tell the reader facts. You can say, here is a fact. Um, but they're best done spread out throughout the story. Now, there are some qualifications to that. It's usually not a great idea to introduce a fact right before it becomes relevant because then it kind of gives the impression you didn't think of it until now. So it does help to take a broad overview of your story, what your plot plan is and say, okay, what are the things I need to set up early on so that people are prepared for when that shows up later on in the story? And what are things that can just kind of come up as the story goes along? And then take those world building sheets you've made either in your head or actually on paper or digital paper and sort of just 
sprinkle them like salt <laughs> throughout the story. Even if you're just saying, hey, reader, here's a straight up fact, you can spread them out like that. Um, and then my favorite one is implication, which kind of all, you know, kind of leans into like offhand remarks generally involve some implication. But the idea with implication is to say things that you know will lead your reader to the answer about the world that you want them to get to. So let's say that we've got an AU and Clint works at an animal shelter. If you just say to your reader in the story, Clint worked at the animal shelter, Bucky went to pick him up after his shift. Nothing wrong with them. That, that's straightforward. It's expo. It tells the reader what they need to know. You can say something like that. But if you've got a bit too much world building or you're worried about an info dump or you just want to twist it up a little bit, you can instead imply this, have Bucky get on the subway or get in his car or his motorcycle or whatever, go to the animal shelter. He comes in the door, Clint comes out of the back in his scrubs looking tired and he says, oh, that was a long shift today. Thanks for coming to pick me up. You never have to say Clint works at the animal shelter because by setting up the scene that way, it's so heavily implied as to be obvious that that is indeed his job. So when we're talking about implication, we're saying take the facts and then instead of telling the reader the fact, show the reader the fact. And this comes back to what we've talked about in previous um, creator corners about show don't tell. And that's how show don't tell lines up with world building because it's exactly the same thing that we were talking about then. If you just tell everybody all of the things they need to know, they're going to be overwhelmed and maybe a little bit bored, but instead use that implication. The other benefit is if you kind of play with it, you can be more and less obvious. And uh, the times that you're less obvious, the reader will actually engage with trying to solve what it is that's being communicated. If there's a little bit of a puzzle, something to figure out or something to think about, that nugget can actually help keep readers engaged with your story because they're going to want to keep reading and see if the world that they're building in their head is lining up with the, with, you know, as you give them facts, they're fitting those in and they're starting to build that world themselves. And that is engaging enough that it's going to make your story more engaging as well. My favorite thing is when somebody in my comments will be like, I saw you do that. And I know that this means blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even that. No, that is not what that means. I'm <laughs> so thrilled. Okay, we go. Um, I love it when they solve puzzles that I didn't even set up as puzzles. Um, the other thing I will say is that we have talked a lot in this bit uh, that makes it seem like a lot of planning and preparation needs to go into writing. And it, I think it does, I'll be honest. And I know Ferret thinks it does too. We do most of this in our heads. We've both talked about like a tumble dryer of ideas or I need to drive around or I'm gonna think about this for a long time. That, that's one of the ways in which our process parallels. However, I know and there are fixes that, that doesn't work for me for. For Bridgerton right now, as, I'm, as we're recording this in March of 2021, I am still furiously plotting what the Bridgerton AU is going to be. You will now hear me whine about this for the rest of the calendar year, everybody, so <laughs> buckle up. But I have a, it's probably a five page Google doc right now that I will let nobody else see because I, because the world feels so big, I do have to get it all down on paper. For 
gutter snipe which is the one i'm publishing right now that's the my fair lady au it all lived in my head and i have nothing written down except for the fic however uh, and i just i think i said however as a transition already this is why i should always be writing and never speaking please don't read the transcript when of this one folks <laughs> never read it when i first started writing i did have a lot more notes physical notes keeping track of details and the pieces of the world I wanted to build and where things were going and my ability to kind of keep it all in my head or marinate it in my head has come with practice, but it's also come with the wider that I read. I am more comfortable with world building now because I read a lot more things that do world building. I have learned from the example of other people what things that I need to tell a reader because they're the things I wanted to know as a reader. I learned the rhythms from other people. And this is one of the isms of this podcast. The strongest writers are the widest readers. I will stand by that until the day that I die. And one of the reasons that you can always tell the difference between Ferret and my writing, I'll just be really honest, is that the books we read are really different. The fix overlap a little bit more. But like when we talk about our favorite authors and our favorite stories, they are different. We write dialogue very similarly because we have some of the same favorite TV shows. And that's kind of how I think a lot of writing works is it, we're all stealing from everybody all the time, by the way, that's how the human brain works. And world building is no different. So if you've been listening to this and you are completely overwhelmed by everything that we had to say, I understand there are points in my writing journey where I would have been too. So just take a breath, read some stories, read some fics where you really liked the world building. I certainly can recommend a few if you DM me where I was really amazed at the world building. Read, a, read if you read traditional books, do it. If you watch television or you watch movies, I mean, they're doing world building really interestingly right now in Falcon and Winter Soldier where at the second episode just debuted. And that's going really interestingly, the way they're dropping in things and not blowing everything up at, at one time, um, which is why I hate week-to-week -week television shows, but that's a separate rant. <laughs> We've moved on from that, I thought. <laughs> isn't no. this isn't this the age of binging? What are they doing? I don't know what Disney is doing to us, but I'm somehow programmed and traumatized. All that to say, there are a lot of ways to do this. And it is it is also up to you how you do it, your mileage may vary, how it feels to you. So figure out a way that will work. If you can't figure out how you wanna do your own characters in your brain, that's fine. There's lots and lots of tools out there of like, here are the 20 questions to ask about your character so that you can start thinking about your character. If, that, if I explained that clearly at all, I don't know if I did. But all of this can be hard. All of this can be easy just depending on where you fall in. But the best way to get stronger at it is to practice and just to get stuff down on the page and kind of go from there. The mistakes that we both said, we have done. We have absolutely made those mistakes. We have done the things that we told you not to do, <laughs> for sure. And the way that we didn't do them again was that somebody pointed them out to us. And this is where alpha and beta readers can really come in and help you. 
At the end of the day, all of this is subject subjective. What one person thinks is an info dump or too much world building, someone else is going to disagree with. They're going to love it. It depends who your reader is, which obviously with fan fiction could be anybody. And it depends what genre you're writing in. Think about how much expo there is in um, Lord of the Rings uh, versus, you know, a rom-com. So as much as this was sort of presented as do and do nots, it's not really about rules or right or wrong. It's about you just being thoughtful, critical, and engaged with your own work, giving it some thought, letting that question of what do I need to show the reader be a driving force and the rest will come as Flame says with practice and with help and with feedback and with reading and with listening to us, I hope. <laughs> So continuing on with our topic today, soulmates, we had asked you guys on Discord and Twitter what kinds of soulmate fix you guys liked. And as we mentioned earlier, we were going to come back around. It's time for Calm Talks and we're going to hear what you guys said. Flame, what, what did everyone think? The overall vibe on the Discord was please and thank you all the soulmate fix now. <laughs> However they come to us, the quirkier, the better. The Discord mentioned ones where like you can meet your soulmate through their taste buds. Uh, there's soulmate matching services. All the oddball ones seem to be the one that, that our participants in the server liked the best. There was not a lot of direct links or, or I would be mentioning those. There was a lot of, I remember this one once. <laughs> yeah. Um, is kind of the entire way I consume thick so solidarity pals and then but it, the, there was one person who was like I just can't get them at all and there was a little bit of conversation around that but but really what it was was that this is such a wide open trope that intersects especially with Steve and Tony in some really specific ways that's just so delicious and so much fun um, a couple people brought up that there's a lot of good shrunky clunks one which is again where um, Bucky is a normal human and steve is captain america mm -hmm. um and that that the soulmates of them are really really great um and then on twitter i asked him more and the way that i phrased the question was like what is your favorite kind red string words symbols or all of them please and on twitter i phrased it slightly differently i said what's your favorite kind of soulmate red string words on skin symbols on skin or other and in a runaway Words on skin got 56% of the vote. Yeah, and that's interesting. If we take away I love them all on Discord, then words on skin was a runaway winner too. Yeah. So that is the one that is the one that is often and then Courtney B, who is at Storybook Colors on Twitter, replied and said, The words on skin is great, but I've seen some really great Sony fix fix built around having your soulmate's date of birth or something similar. And Tony just feels like his soulmate is dead or it must be a mistake. And then shenanigans. Um, I completely yeah. agree. Anything that involves shenanigans, I'm here for. I'm on yeah. the record for liking shenanigans. I do like date of birth ones or ones where Tony has like Stephen Grant Rogers and he's like, well, that's Captain America and he's dead. Um, but <laughs> also- like you can, the two of them, because of the way they're like time skip works, like if Steve has Tony Stark and he knows Howard Stark, it's like, 
okay? Is this a relative of yours? Like, I can see that being a thing. And Tony has Steve who's dead, but, and if they have birthdays, it's like, if Steve just has the birthday of somebody who's born 70 years in the future, it's like, are like, am I a hundred and you're a baby when we meet? Like, there's just so many ways for time shenanigans to play into their soulmates that. I loved, I would love it too. I've never read this, but I would love it if somehow Steve and Tony being soulmates is what drove Howard to be like the worst human on the planet. Oh, that's definitely, I've seen ones where Tony having Steve as his soul, like having his name or whatever, um, makes, is, is one of the outlets for Howard's abuse because he, you know, he's, he, he wishes he had Steve instead of the kid he does have, if you know what I mean? Like he wanted to find Steve. Tony can't live up to that. And then like Tony has this soulmate. That's this idolized person that Howard remembers as being like perfect when he died kind of, because it's been so long. And, um, and that becomes like a whole cycle for Tony's relationship with Howard. I like that. And I have seen that done. I think I've thrown that. I've thrown mentions at least of that into a couple of my soulmate picks. I like that. Yeah, I've, I think I've hinted at it, but I've not really ever done a whole treatment of it. Um, I've never really done, I've never done a fic that had a lot of Howard in it, so. Yeah, I have a couple times. I like, I, again, Social Worker Flame coming out, but I like playing with that dynamic a lot. And I like reading it. Of- I'm not interested in writing it generally. That's fair. I mean, there's a lot of things I enjoy reading and not writing. So. <laughs> Nearly every kink that I, that I <laughs> like reading falls into that category. Um, yeah, I, it's funny. I like writing symbols a lot more than I like writing words. Um, because I feel a real pressure to come up with creativity around words and it yeah. knocks the name. Words are hard. Like phrases like, oh, well, been hard. done 400 times. So like what words could I use and Sometimes yeah. I play around with languages or I play around with like, okay, well, what if it's an inside joke? And like the first <laughs> part they say, like it's, that stresses me out a lot more. I have a lot more fun with symbols, but when I read, I do not care. I like them all completely equally. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I also like, like creative takes on it when other people do it, but also just like, I will read exactly the same, like. I have your name on my wrist story 400 times. So like 400 times. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I put pressure on myself. I put on no one else. I think it's for me, it's less that it's the pressure and more that like, I don't feel inspired to write it unless something unique comes to my mind as a way to do it. Like, unless there's a, a twist or an edge to it to grab my brain, then I don't even know what I would write. Like there's the words just don't come. But if I can come up with some, like every now and then it will just pop into my head that there's like a slightly interesting way to play this. And then that's when I'll really run with it. So I think that's why most of my soulmate fix I write end up being like at least an attempt to be somewhat twisty with the the, the tropes. But um, I just, I I want to read them all. If I, if I could just turn them out, I probably would. <laughs> yeah. And we're at different places in our writing journey. And so I'm still trying to push as many boundaries in myself as I can and inspiration. It works differently for the two of us. Um, but I think really it's, it's still, to me, it's being creative and to you, it's being inspired and we're saying the same thing just in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, if I can't, if I can't get interested, I mean, cause that's even in long fix, like I'm wrapping up 
uh, a common gutter snipe right now. And I know what has to happen in every single chapter. Like I've had this outlined extensively, obsessively for six months. But until I can figure out the opening scene, I can't write the chapter. Yeah, I'm stuck in a long thick right now. <laughs> for like, similar, I'm like, I know it needs to happen, but I don't yep. see it. The movie isn't playing, so it's not gonna yeah. happen. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. And then I was the idiot who was like, hey, everybody, it's gonna be finished by the end of March. And I'm sitting here and it's- <laughs> Oh God, it's, it's the 23rd. <laughs> Shit. Um, but anyway, it's, it, it's, that, it's that kind of thing. I think that soulmates as a trope, no matter what spectrum you fall on in how you want to interact with choice um, and and how you want to interact with universe intervention or the different kinds of, I love reading platonic soulmates. I love reading fix where Steve has two marks and one's a platonic one and one's a romantic one. I love those fix. Um, and I've written one like that where Tony and Steve were both born with two marks and you don't know which one is platonic or romantic until you're in the relationship with the person. And so so Tony and Pepper have the same mark and they thought for sure it was a romantic one, but it's the platonic one. Yeah, I like that. I recently that got into that. He shows up and he has the romantic mark. Um, and like, I love that. I love the idea of platonic soulmates. I love the idea of asexual soulmates. I love the idea of familial soulmates. Like, to me, the best soulmate fix acknowledge that there's stuff outside of the romantic soulmates. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, I said this in the let's talk, but like, there's like a hundred more questions I want to ask people. And we hadn't, we hadn't dived into it yet when we did the, the poll, but there's so much more there. I think we can fundamentally say that like a lot of people love soulmate fix. A lot of people who love soulmate fix have boundaries within the category that they either prefer or like at the exclusion of other ones. So for some people, it's I like soulmate fix as long as, and that's often some element of choice. We did talk about choice is like one of those defining things for a lot of people for soulmates. And I know, I definitely know there's lots of people out there who just don't like the concept at all. They don't want to see it. They don't like soulmate fix. And a lot of people who say they don't like soulmate fix cite choice as a reason that they don't. So uh, once again, if that's you, let us know because we want to hear more about it. <laughs> Absolutely. As always, we always want to hear more from you. All right, Ferret, we have come to that point of the episode, the all-important trope-off update. <laughs> I love this part. <laughs> this is my Me favorite too. part it's right now. It's one of my favorite things about the pod. I love it. <laughs> um, all right, so last time we spoke, I had we were in the midst of the multiverse versus enemies to lovers uh, poll, which... I didn't mention, I don't think, but it is our first winner's bracket face-off. So these are both ones that have won a previous, oh no, wait, that's a lie. It's our first winner's bracket, but they're still being matched up with ones that haven't been included yet. So enemies to lovers had already won one, but multiverse hadn't been seen yet. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Because we have to do like a couple of rounds to get everybody actually on the floor if you will okay so enemies to lovers had beaten mpreg 75 to 25 
Now, yeah, that was a handy. That was a handy victory. Yeah. How do you think it fared against multiverse? I'm going to guess it's still one, but maybe a little bit closer. <laughs> you are technically correct. <laughs> okay. But like, it's like 76% or something. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was 73 okay. to 27. So okay. 2% difference. Um, so it was a very, very, very little uh, difference in its win, just slightly less decisive. Um, but basically, I don't think that that's statistically significant. So we're going to say pretty much the same. Enemies to lovers cruising on. It will be in round three of the winner's bracket. Very impressive. A handy win. People do it's going to be enemies to lovers. I'm trying to think what could defeat enemies to lovers. Yeah, I mean, like I say, we haven't actually seen them all yet. So. I'm just thinking, like, in the pantheon of tropes, like, it's on Mount Rushmore. Yeah, it's definitely up there. in Marvel fandom. I'm, I'm, I think that enemies to lovers with multiverse could be very complicated, but cool. Oh, I'd love to do that. Yeah. That would be super fun. Well, then again, I think you can do enemies to lovers. I think I've read enemies to lovers with multiverse a ton of times. Every time somebody writes a fic where, like, Steve and Tony and Bucky from, like, one universe meet the ones from the other ones they're like they're like oh, why don't you love each other oh you guys still hate each other oh god yeah, yeah, yeah. like <laughs> yeah yeah in a I, sense uh lost together is kind of multiverse enemies to lovers but they don't meet multiverse versions of themselves they just go to another dimension that's true that's true but I'll, i mean on a technicality you've you've written it yeah i think i can claim that trophy i like it so last weekend we had another one Okay. Uh, interesting face-off. These have these these both had already won one, so these are two winners up against each other. Mafia Ma Bayou, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and Wump, which we also talked about a couple weeks ago. My gracious! Head to head. Okay. Mafia had beaten Unrequited Feelings fifty-nine to forty-one, so it was a slight win. And Wump had beaten Sex Paul in 62 to 38. So solid, but not decisive. Right. Mafia versus Wump. I think also it goes without saying that these could be deliciously com- combined. Yes, obviously. Like the, uh, the like mob boss whose partner gets like taken and tortured and then rescued. There's so much hurt comfort and the badass who's like killing everyone to get to the person they love. Yeah. There's some like John Wick vibes in there. That could be good. That could be good. Oh, for sure. Um, well, do you want to guess who won? I'm gonna, womp, but not that, but, but not by much. Close, but the opposite (laughs) oh okay i'm not surprised it was a toss-up in my brain it was nearly a toss-up on twitter so mafia mabe you took 53 percent wump took 47 so that was it was a tight race it was a very tight race and Mm. that puts so wump and multiverse are now bumped down into the losers bracket they'll be facing off against other losers but they're going into the losers bracket with uh, well, multiverse is new, but Wump is going into the loser's bracket with one win and one loss. So 
um, it still needs a second loss to be out or as some of them, uh, they'll go out with two losses. So at least one has a win under its belt to take, to take home at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> a participation trophy, if you will. Exactly. Okay. So what oh. are we in the middle of right now? Flame. <laughs> what are we in the middle of right now? This, oh my God, is... Is this like an existential question now. Oh no. This is like, this one is going to be. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know which I would vote for. We have got Huddling for Warmth. Oh, a classic. Versus Friends with Benefits. Oh, Jesus, hell. Right? Because those that actually is combined like all the time. Yeah. And like, yeah, those are two tropes you can just kind of put into anything and I am there. And like you mix it with so many others. It's just they're like real tropey tropes i mean like huddling for warmth is so adjacent to clothes sharing yeah 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 yeah. this feels like your algorithm has personally attacked it's like hurt comfort plus clothes sharing plus like fuck buddies yeah plus potential womp plus like oh there's just it's like a combination of all my favorite foods so like these are the days that i am glad that as the arbiter of trope off i cannot vote mm, that's fair that's totally fair the mayor of trope off if you will <laughs> the <mayor of> <laughs> sure well or i like like empress or something else where we can get you a crown oh yeah you know i'm always in for a crown yeah i just feel like mayor isn't big enough it's it's just true it's true you're so right <laughs> I'm like i we need to dream bigger here ferret like own your power <laughs> Well, my power right now is that I'm looking ahead of what we've got coming up and guys, it's only going to get harder. Like huddling for warmth, friends with benefits. I want to see what you guys pick, but like, I have a feeling fans going to be screaming at me in the coming weeks because yeah, this is a challenge. Oh, it's, it's coming oh, together. I don't know which one I, I might, this might be one where I close my eyes and let my mouse click. Yeah, we'll have to see. Make sure you because, remember which one you end up voting for so we can talk about it next time. Yeah. I went for Wump, by the way, between Wump and Mafia, which no one should be surprised about that. But Oh, yeah. Did you pick Enemies to Lovers as well? Yes. And multiverse, yeah. Yes. For the simple fact that, like, I love multiverse, and I think I've, I, I, well, since we haven't talked about multiverse, I'll say this. I adore multiverse. Mm. And it's, it's one that like, I would love to write a grand multiverse story. I love writing multiverse one shots where especially Steve, Tony or Bucky comes in from like the MCU verse into a universe where everybody's emotionally adjusted. <laughs> yeah, I, I love playing with that. Or I love them making references to like other fix I've written. Like I love tiny things like that. Um, but Enemies to Lovers is why I'm in Stony. Yeah, I think anyone who watched Avengers and saw the sexual tension in that uh, in the scepter scene is gonna like Enemies to Lovers. Like, I can't get. I mean, it, it's like why I'm in Winter Iron. Like, it's 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 like why I'm in this fandom in a lot of ways. So I couldn't I couldn't not. And I discovered multiverse long after i stumbled into the fandom so it just felt like a betrayal to not go enemies to lovers yeah so yeah guys get thinking vote for huddling for warmth or friends with benefits because your favorite tropes only gonna win if you vote for it don't forget it's over on my twitter at festa ferret 
and you don't have to be following me, but you do have to go vote and you do have to have Twitter. Um, if you guys have any ideas for prompts for how to combine any of the trope offs polls that we've had so far, please, you can comment on the Twitter. You can send them to us in any of our many ways. We would love, love, love to hear from you. The prompts are my favorite part and we haven't had a whole lot of them this time around. So do hit me up, do hit me up. And we'll be back next episode to talk about who won this one, who's going to win next weekend when we don't have an episode, but I will be posting a trope off and then what is coming up during next weekend's episode. So hopefully we'll see you then. Hi fandom. I'm only more love and I'm back with your events forecast. This is where I'll tell you all about what's going on challenge-wise in a Marvel fandom near you. So buckle up and let's go. A small note before I start with the current events. You'll be able to find everything I mention in this forecast, linked and explained in the show notes for each episode over on podonthesuit.com. Let's move on to the fun stuff now. The mods of the What to Finish auction have announced a mini auction round to support Asian communities in light of recent events. Signups will open on June 15th, and the rest of the schedule, as well as the guidelines and other info, can be found on their blog. And here's a reminder that the Marvel Reverse Bang is back, but different. With its new six-phase formula, the mods aim to find you a partner no matter how rare your ship is by dividing the many parts of our fandom into their own phase, and therefore their own bang within the bang. For more information and detailed rules and dates on each phase, please visit the blog. Signups are currently open for the Earth's Mightiest phase. The signups for the Star Spangled Big Bang are open to authors until April 2nd, for artists until June 4th, with claims happening on June 11th. Centering around Team Cap characters, this bang welcomes any fic, shippy, or gen that focuses on at least one of the characters that makes up Team Cap. The minimum word count is 10k, and posting is set for September. Do you have it in you? A super family exchange has been announced. Signups will occur between April 1st and April 15th, with a deadline for creators to have finished their work set for June 22nd. Find more information on their blog, as well as on their Discord server. Also still at the forefront of our minds is the new Cap IM Fest, the Universe Medley Fest. It takes the form of a prompt fest, with each month dedicated to a different universe, as well as a remix challenge, and the opportunity to run your own mini-challenge centered around the universe of the month. This fest aims to give us more Steve Tony content across the multiverse. The first universe is Earth 3490. The Shrunky Clunks Big Bang is also still open for artist signups until April 17th, while the Loki Rare Pair Bang, a mixed bang with claims of both fic and art, is still accepting both kinds of signups until April 1st. Rare Loki shippers, this one's for you. Check out the blog for the full schedule and rules. The Steggy Bingo Bash is open for late signups until March 30th, 
So if you missed your chance to grab a card the first time, this is for you. A Stucky Week has been announced well in advance and will run from July 5th through July 11th, but the prompts are already available on their blog, so please go check them out, as well as their rules, so you can prep beforehand. An Iron Dad Remix event has opened signups. They will stay open until March 31st, and posting will begin June 7th, so there's plenty of time to create something great. The minimum word count is 1,000 words. Feeling like remixing some Iron Dad and Spider Sun content? Check out the blog for more rules and the complete schedule. The Iron Strange Big Bang is back, with a minimum of 12,000 words for writers and two illustrations for artists. The Bang will open signups to writers from March 14th through April 11th, to artists from May 17th through June 14th, and claims will happen from June 28th through July 12th. Posting will be set to start on November 12th. At your keyboards and brushes, people! You can still claim a prompt in the Black Characters Matter Prompt Fest until April 2nd, with a minimum requirement of 500 words for fic, and also welcoming a wide variety of mediums. They also have a Discord server you can join to chat about your fills and all Black Marvel characters. Claims for the Sam Wilson Fest are open, and will stay that way until April 23rd. Posting will happen between April 24th and May 2nd. There are no minimums, and all mediums are allowed. Please don't miss out. The mods for Darcy Lewis Bingo are hosting a mini-bingo in honor of the character's birthday on April 1st. The event will accept submissions for its prompts from April 1st to April 4th. Go check out their page if you happen to ship our boys with Dr. Lewis. Signups and fills for the following are still ongoing. Cap I Am Bingo. Marvel Fluff Bingo. Marvel Holiday Fest. Cap I Am Com Remix Events and Bingo. STB, Steve Tony Bucky Bingo, as well as the Lights on Park Avenue monthly prompts. And that's it for this episode, friends. This has been your events forecast. I'll see you next episode. Until then, be safe and happy shipping. And that is a wrap on episode three. Thanks again to B for our cover art, only and Marie for the events forecast, and to everybody who told us what they loved about Soulmates. If you want to get in touch with us, all of our socials are in the show notes. You can leave anonymous fandom feelings in the form linked there or attach your name to a question, suggestion, love note, anywhere else. If you listen to this on a podcast, please rate and review us. It really, really, really does help fellow fandom friends find us. And that was so many Fs. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Well, it's kind of on brand. Flame. Oh, you're right. Ferret. Well, we're getting a little silly, so it's time to sign off. Thanks to you all for listening, and we will see you again in a few weeks for episode four. You've been listening to Pod on the Suit. Thanks for joining us. 